I'm Vince. And I'm Travis. And we're about to ruin your games and stuff. This is Travis! Welcome to Undesign. What's up, Travis? Uh, nothing much, Vince. I gotta pick a new way to say it every time. Let's just do the whole episode like this. <laughs> People would probably go insane pretty fast. So we're back. Perfect. I'm already crazy. Let's go. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I, we're back. So um, I rolled a thing today. Tell, tell us about that thing, Vince. Yes, today you rolled another very, like, crunchy technical design thing. Boo! Right? <laughs> Which is uh, the upper limits in games and defining the ceiling, the upper limits of power. Upper limits. Yes, that's right. Uh, this is fascinating to me because I think one of the important elements of design that can easily be overlooked when you're creating a wholly new game is what is the upper limit of uh, a character's power to affect change in the world look like? Mm. Okay. And and by character, you don't just mean the characters. You mean like ev- everything within the setting? No, I mean the characters specifically, because okay. non-player characters can sort of break the rules, right? They can they can have massive sweeping effects. They can put things mm-hmm. into motion, plans that would require centuries of planning. They can do all that, and everything's fine, right? right? But so the upper it, limits in games, though. That, I mean, it's extremely important, right? Because in one yeah. swoop, when you when you define what the upper limit is, you you immediately define the stakes of the entire setting, basically. Yeah, like, that's exactly like the right. Enti- the entire the entire world that you're creating, whatever whatever universe you're playing in, um, is immediately defined by that upper limit. Yep, exactly. It's defined by that ceiling you create, right? So, and and making sure that that falls within the scope of the type of of game you're trying to make. So for me, this is well, both- Give me an example though. Like what's, okay, explain the upper limit of a D&D character to me. Just, okay, just D&D. Sure. That's the yeah, easiest sure. one to fall back on. Let's- Define that first. What's that? Absolutely. Okay, so here's a here's a great example. Uh, let's talk D&D. Who are the characters in D&D that can theoretically have the largest single impact on the world as a solo person? A spellcaster of some kind, I'm sure. Exactly. So a, a, a ultra-powerful wizard, cleric, druid, bard, whatever. Something like that, right? Mm-hmm. Somebody who's capable of, of generating magics of the highest power. Right. Okay. So if you look at what ninth level spells are capable of, right? With the type, that's a good, type that, that's a good, good baseline here. Like, so like ninth level spells, that's like, uh, is wish still a thing? Wish is still yeah, a sure. thing, right? So wish you could li- like, these characters can literally just say, I wish this was, and then it is. Right. When you look at the defined to powers, an extent. to an extent, because that always has the risk of the, that's the upper back and yes, but they can like, a high-level wizard can look at somebody and tell them to die, and they will die, right? Classically, mm-hmm. that was—we all remember Ray Stillin and using that in the in the in the story, right? It like would take that an was... equal, equally strong will to not die in right. the face of that, right? Yep. So that's kind of the upper limit of the power. But they what things you can't do with magic. All right, here you go. Here's the thing: there's no single spell to commit genocide. Mm. Okay. There's no single spell to create an entirely new planet and populate it with races. Right. Right. Uh, it's sort of the two sides of that coin, I suppose. 
uh, that so like there those are there are things even out of their reach. But like certainly your villains in the game might be attempting to could do it. And and yeah. they and 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 maybe maybe they're not doing it with a single spell. Maybe they're doing it with like a plethora of spells. You know. Yes, some long magical ritual that they discover different parts of, and they've assembled magic items to do, and mm-hmm. blahzy 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 blah. So by defining the upper limits as basically what's in that ninth level spell list and how they act, you say something about the rest of the world and hence mm-hmm. the power players that are in it, right? Because if a if a high level wizard can go around and just by using literally the spells in his spell book defeat every bad guy and solve every problem. What's the, the point of play? <laughs> exactly. Then then the world doesn't, it doesn't make sense anymore, right? Mm-hmm. It doesn't rock immediately because you're like, why hasn't, why hasn't this character just fixed everything, right? But instead you look at like the size of one of these fantasy worlds in D&D and you look at the power of the villains and the kind of things that they have at their disposal. It's not something you can just tackle with high level magic, right? It, that's right. Not, it doesn't work. You can solve a portion of a problem, but you can't solve the whole problem. That's right. So I think that, you know, oftentimes people sort of back into this in game design. So this oh, is okay. fascinating to me from both a a game design perspective and a player perspective. Yeah. And I'll, I'll, I'll break that down. What I mean is I don't think this is a thing people often readily think about. Uh, in my, it's, not, it's probably not the first thing most people think about, right? Yeah. Yeah. Whereas to me, it should literally be one of your first thoughts. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's definitely a top five for me. Like, it's so important. Yeah, because it whether you're defining an individual world and kind of the way that the players are going to interact with it, or whether you're a def- segment of the world, you know, even, even yeah. a small segment of the world, you can you can define upper limits within within that, you know, um, and it makes a big difference. Yeah, hundred uh, percent. Or whether you're designing a whole raw game from the from you know the the words up, you know, from the blank page up, as it were. Dungeons and Dragons ceiling is 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 well defined, and I think it gets the job done pretty well. Um, and it allows you it, it allows for a diverse party to be able to together solve big problems. Yes, um, and it's because each of each of the different archetypes available have have a, a good portion of that of the ceiling available to them, and so together they can hit it. So I like I think Dungeons and Dragons is a good starting point, but then there are egregious problems with games like Rifts. Sure, right? yeah, Rifts great counterexample. A, a, a huge problem where if you're not careful, right, you will have. First of all, you have to define at a party level what sort of the upper ceiling is the, of the change that people are going to be able to affect. Now, let me say this. Even in the world of rifts, as insane as some of the player characters might be, <laughs> the threats that oppose them yes. are usually like a thousand times more yeah. insane, right? Yeah. You you think about something like Atlantis and Lord Splincrith, this blue gorth, you know, alien intelligence monster, uh-huh. tentacle monster that runs that place, uh, who I personally love and use in many games because I think he's a funny character and I always I always make him a, a very we, we all, funny all you and all your listeners know you're into tentacles yeah that's not what I meant but okay uh, and you know at at the ready within like in the book they say something like within the hour Lord Splinkrith can mobilize like fifty thousand <laughs> yeah. of this yep. type of troop ten thousand of this type of troop and every one of them is like outrageously powerful all right, right. yes. So like, and his personal power. Level. Every one of them is like a top 
ceiling PC character, right? Right. Yeah, and he could just call 10,000 of them up. Yep. You could have them here inside the hour. It's like a pizza. Um, <laughs> so, you know, like even when, but then you have characters in that game, like you can literally play godlings, you can play demigods, you can play cosmic knights that are Captain Marvel is the best way. I, she's a cosmonite, right? Somebody who just like punches through spaceships. Yeah. Like that's you're you are designed to fight enemy fleets of spaceships. Yeah. You know, if like some Star Destroyers roll into your quadrant of the galaxy, <laughs> you will just go knock them out of the sky. Right? Sounds like you're, a good time, though. I mean, that sounds like fun. Sure. That's a super cool idea yep. for a game. And so I think that when you look at a world like that, defining the upper limit, when you set your party, you've got to say, like, OK, this is sort of the upper and lower limit, ironically. Right. Because you can't. Yeah. If you have well, the game that's with the thing, like a... man. If you let it go, the swing is so huge. Like between the worst character you can make in Rift's, like the lowest power setting, and the highest is just so huge. It's beyond massive. And by the way, that can work fine. Like you can have a a, a vagabond homeless guy, yes, and a Cosmo Knight in the same party. Assuming that that player knows what they're in for as the vagabond, right? I mean, look, it's it's fine. If you're okay with being Hawkeye, right? It's yes. it's okay to be Hawkeye if you like being Hawkeye. Sure. There's a Thunder God and the best soldier in the world. In the world, yep. And uh, a guy using nanotech to, with a suit that can and, do literally anything. The infinite yes. strength Hulk. Yes, yes, exactly. Those are your friends. You've got a bow and arrow. You've got a bow and arrows. That's what you do. Yep, yep, mm. exactly. So, you know, you as long as you're okay with being the Hawkeye, you can have a good time. And it, well, it, that, and that's the thing, like w- with that with that power swing, that 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 huge upper limit ceiling, um, you have you have to be a more creative storytelling group to right. pull that off, like to be able to still entertain the Hawkeye to keep him involved in the game. Yeah. And I There's think a it's great responsibility with that greater, greater ceiling. Sure. And I think then all you what you do is you push into like the emotional spaces and stuff like that, because the cosmonaut can punch a spaceship in half, but he or she still has the same emotional limits as the vagabond. Right. Like that right. is to say they, they love things. They hate things. They can lose and gain and suffer and all that kind of stuff. So, you know, that's it's the stories that really matter in the end. The punching stuff shouldn't be the primary motivator of any story. Um, but I think that that's why I define it as like the change you can affect within the world. Right. Mm-hmm. And one of the just like to let's let's pivot and talk about NGS. Let's let's self promote for a minute. NGS, what's that, Vince? Why, Travis? That's the narrative game system. Oh it's, my goodness, that sounds like fun. What's, it's uh, it's super fun. It's a game that you and I wrote <laughs> that is behind me in every video I shoot. The cover of the yeah, book. yeah. Uh, and truly, the thing I'm most proud of that I've written in my entire life uh, is that's that pretty book. Good, I agree. Yeah, that's a pretty good book. And the what we did in that book. So the the way that sort of challenges are resolved in that book is is fairly straightforward. It's the roll of a die plus a small bonus. Pretty standard mechanic. Nothing really too complicated. We wanted to keep it very simple. That's part of the point because the Certainly game a unified is unified mechanic game. It is a unified mechanic game. The goal was to be mechanically so simple because it was a hundred percent narrative focused. Right. It is just an outrageously narratively focused game. Hence the narrative game system. That's right. And the the nature of that is that, like, you can the, the biggest die you can get is a D12. And the most bonus you can ever get to that roll on your own is plus four. Yeah. And the biggest bonus the GM could ever assign to you for, like, the most favorable of 
conditions is plus four. So not a big swing in numbers. Right. Meaning the maximum possible number you can ever generate in a game is 20. And that's like mm-hmm. the stars have aligned, right? So we actually sat down and wrote this thing, this whole section in the book called What is DC 21? What can't you hit? Yeah, right. what, 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 what can, cannot be achieved? What's there? What's at the end? Yeah. Yep. And so we talked about how the most important part to defining a game of NGS, since it's very fluid, right? Uh, because we have abilities in the game, like let's say you have an ability like super strength, which isn't necessarily limited to just superheroes. Obviously, mm-hmm. you, could, you could have super strength in lots of different game systems. Yep. So when we think about super strength, and we talk about what is DC 21, we say as a as a game master, it's important for you to define what that is. So like, in a, right. So in Conan, yeah. super strength is completely different than Marvel superheroes. That's exactly right. Yep. Yep. Exactly. Like Conan is very strong. It's really strong crazy strong uh he can throw around small statues right like he can pick up a like a the the idol of set or something and toss it around uh he can probably throw a dude off a roof like without too much trouble he can pick up another human being and throw him right that's that's a conan thing to do um he can he can you know get himself off of a crucifix yeah right (laughs) or whatever he is strong yes but he would be punched into atoms by the Hulk. <laughs> yes. Little little bitty atoms. The Hulk's super strength is such that one time there were two universes in the Marvel Universe pulling themselves apart. And so they grabbed were like... Them and held them together. Yes, he grabbed two universes and held them together. That's a different Absolute, kind of strength. Yeah, the plural of universe here, man. That's a big deal. <laughs> right. So, like, understanding what's out of bounds, right? Yeah. What is the impossible, I think is really important. When you look back at the D&D example, it's like, well, you can kill a single person, but you can't kill a whole race with a spell, right? Well, unless, or, unless that race is like, there's just one of them left. Sure, I guess, yeah. There's just one person, <laughs> yeah. You're the last. A few, I mean, you know, a, a small group, whatever. Sure, sure. We got together the last four people, yes, who are all of this one race, and we then we fireballed them. Sure, then we could accomplish it. Um, but I think that when I when I look at that, the reason it's valuable is because it sets the the tone of the world. And we touched on this, right? It's the concept of like what the feel of something like the Marvel or the DC universe is very different than the feel of sword and sorcery Conan. Right. Right. Not just because of the trappings and the ephemera that they have. That is to say, like one is, you know, people running around with swords shirtless and stabbing each other in ancient Sumeria or whatever. And one of them is uh, a bunch of, you know, basically gods walking around on earth. Um, it's different just in the way that the world will. It's one of the big elements that will shape how the the texture, the taste of the world. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, because an evil villain that's just kind of clever, but has a lot of people who serve him loyally is very threatening to somebody like Conan. Right. Mm-hmm. Because it's yes. a lot of people with crossbows, a, a kind of smart person with several loyal people isn't threatening to Batman or Superman, right? He's no. going to take down that organization, mm-hmm. right? You got to be at a different level. So it cer- it certainly gives you a great baseline for 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 with which to 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 set up how 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 you make and create 
different challenges in the world. Um, because at, you know, usually in in the in in the climax portion of a game, you'll have a lot of things that touch on limits. Yeah. Um, and you can you can really tailor your campaign settings, your worlds, to what kind of limits you want to achieve in those kinds of moments, and understand what kind of scale you're 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 reaching for in your storytelling, right? A hundred percent. That's true. Yes, absolutely. It's always that end game portion, right? Where... That's where you really start to hit on it. You're not really talking yep. about just like, you know, defeating peons and threshing wheat. Out, you know, like, right. like like just 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 destroying like little little things. You're you're usually talking about you're just going to save the city, or you're going to save the world, or you're going to save the universe, whatever. That's where that's where it's defined. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, I think that there's an interesting example of what happens when you don't have this well-defined. May I provide you with a fascinating, I think, counterexample to this? Of do, like do your thing, Vince. How things go off the rails. Travis, do you remember the massively multiplayer online game, as often they're called MMOs? Uh, do you remember the game Star Wars Galaxies? No. Okay. Well, it was a very yes. fun. Of course I do. Yes. Yeah. It's a very fun MMO. Did you ever play uh, Star Wars oh, Galaxies? Yeah. I don't know. No? Um, I no. I, I looked at Star Wars Galaxies a few times, but I never played it. Um, I, I do. Under, I know exactly where you're going, going to go with this, though. So continue. Okay. Sure, sure. I loved Galaxies. I thought it was so much fun. Yeah, I played it a bunch. A lot of people thought it was great. Yeah. I had a character named Big Ron. I was a droid maker and a droid merchant. I never carried a gun. I, I literally did not have a weapon equipped on the character. I threw it out for bag space very early on. I, uh, I was a big, fat, shirtless guy with a leather jacket and a gold chain who would run around all the planets and had set up droid merchants. I was the worst kind of merchant because droids were terrible in most of the early game, but I loved it. I thought it was so cool. I would go around and set up my power like my nuclear power thing and my harvesters. And then I would collect the raw materials and make droids. And it was, oh, it was great. Mm -hmm. And that was the kind of thing the world was, right? You could, you could be a bounty hunter and a, a roguey type person and stuff like that. And you were, you were basically, you were basically playing in the sort of Mandalorian space, right? Where right. it's, it's a roguish world. Uh, you know, it's a roguish universe and there's people with laser guns and a lot of smugglers and, good and bad roguish types trying to make their way in this big crazy galaxy and that's kind of how the game was defined and then they introduced jedi, jedi. <laughs> and jedi characters were just way beyond because in that mm -hmm. world they are right they yep. just simply are like the best soldier is like a mandalorian or somebody like that is still them at the right. top of their game. They is, aren't super powered individuals. Right. It's just barely a match for like a weak Jedi or Sith. Mm -hmm. When those guys get like. Narrative, what, narratively. Narratively, yes. Uh, because they're just capable, like the, the high level Jedi, the high level Sith, those kind of characters. They're just capable of madness within the scope of that world, right? Mm -hmm. um, they're they're so, capable of miracles. Yes, that's a great way to say it. A hundred percent. Yeah, they're they're space they're space Jesus wizards. Yes. Yep. And they 
it, it, it totally destroyed kind of the what was supposed to be impossible in the game, and it made it feel wrong. It made everything else feel invalid. It broke the ceiling. It, yeah. it destroyed, destroyed the ceiling and invalidated everything beneath it, beneath that ceiling. Right. Right, exactly. Suddenly you felt like because we're not – and again, there there is verisimilitude to the world. They're like, I accept that within this, with the scope of that world – that is an accurate thing. Like they did accurately recreate that Jedi are dumbly powerful and everybody else is not. But the problem is, is that that's not how the world felt, especially when they started the game, right? It felt like a world of rogues and smugglers and, and merchants and craftsmen and ne'er-do-wells all kind of slugging it out. And then it became something very different. Uh, so I think that's probably a, a, my example I would give of what happens when you don't have this well-defined and or you then kind of, you know, break that ceiling all of a sudden, right? Mm -hmm. Unless unless you're ready to wreck the, the lower portion of your game, you should know beforehand. Yeah, I think if you do this, you know, if you do this organically, say you're, you mentioned like at the higher level of a game. If mm -hmm. it's, if you're like level 1920 in a game or something like a game of D&D, and you have a character discover a new ultra powerful spell ritual that they can do in some special way that's more powerful than any of their mm -hmm. other ninth level spells. Okay, that's cool. That still feels thematically in line and it yeah. feels pretty well earned, right? Like the character feels special for having that. They've they've gone down a long Right, because discovering a new ceiling can make for compelling storytelling and gameplay. Right, exactly. When you thought the world stopped here, and then all of a sudden you learn, oh no, there's a deeper level. It I goes mean, this is certainly what they did with with, with like high level campaigns. Yeah. in the day. Absolutely, there was a there was a there's been many high level campaign books where it's like, oh no, you thought this world stopped at twenty? <laughs> oh no 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 no, right? And it's interesting because there was sort of two different versions. There's been multiple versions of that book printed. Mm -hmm. The first one in second edition, I think, was very successful because the world still felt very organically expansive, right, into kind of what high-level games look like. And they talked about how it transitions away from combat and it transitioned more into the, the large, sweeping mm -hmm. power plays. Yeah. Running kingdoms, collecting ancient magics that have been long forgotten. Perfect. When it came out in third edition and they gave kind of this high-level thing, yeah. it it was just full of more yep. just characters who could do how, more. How, how high can my hit point numbers go? You know, it was like yes. that kind of thing. Yeah. Yes. Monsters who were more insane. And I'm like, wait a minute. If this monster exists, <laughs> how has it not destroyed the universe? Yeah. One of these things would kill every living being <laughs> in a world. Right. And yet now we're running into these things. You know, every Tuesday, you mm -hmm. know what I'm saying? That, like, that was that was kind of the kind of a problem with the whole mechanic in that game, though, too. So sure. And that's a good example of how in one case you can you're discovering new ways to sort of push it thematically in line. Mm -hmm. And in the other, you blow by it so holistically and so completely that you just you throw the whole thing off kilter. Like it does, it didn't work. In the end, there was a complete lack of verisimilitude to the high level stuff in third edition because I one remember attempting a couple of games and it, they just didn't go well. I mean, it was just bad. Like it, it's it it wasn't a good thing. Right, right. Because it wasn't. It was still just like, well, hey, you thought it used to be here. Mm -hmm. Nope, it's still it's way higher, 
And then you're like, well, what did the old world that I had conceived all you've, you've destroyed all my presuppositions and my understanding of how the world functions. Right. Whereas with, again, the, the beauty of the second edition one was you discovered things by doing different things, mm-hmm. right. By pivoting, not doing the same again, but more now, but more, more. No, really Trav this time it's more, more, <laughs> more, more. No, no, no. So, so upper limits in games, Vince. Yeah. Yeah, I think they're really important. Define them as a designer, understand them as a GM, and allow your players to break them in narratively compelling earned ways. That would be my summary. There you go. I think I think that's totally upper limits of games undesigned. Undesigned. All right. Thank you very much, everybody, for listening. We really appreciate it. Give us a rating and review on iTunes. If you want to check out more content, you can check out my YouTube channel. It's under Vincent Venturella under my name. Do it. Easy to find. Go check it out, especially if you like wargaming or painting or anything like that. But as always, we thank you very much. And we'll talk to you next time. Thank you.